C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Hi, welcome to Camp Adulthood. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I am the resident youth, Maddie Yergi. And once again, we are joined by two esteemed guests, um, my cousin Chris and her partner Christian. And we're really excited today because these are our first Gen X guests. And Benson, I'm sure our listeners have missed Benson. And Bruno, the dog, who who is being a good boy. So great. Yes. How are you guys? Hi, good morning. Welcome. Good morning. So to kick it off, to kick off our interview, we'd love for each of you to do a quick introduction. So uh, say your name, uh, maybe where you grew up, where you live now, what year you were born, um, and yeah, what you do with your life. Yeah. So. Okay. My name's Kristen. I was born in 1970. I grew up kind of all over the place. Um, I now live outside of Portland, Oregon, and have lived here for about 24 years, so this is home now. My name's Christian, uh, born in 1970, grew up in Rhode Island, did a road trip across the U.S., ended up in Alaska for five years, and came here to Oregon. Nice. Very cool. Treasure trove. Mm. I look forward to getting into that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we wanted to talk about, obviously you guys are not millennials, you're Gen X. Correct. Mm-hmm. Do you guys identify with the Gen X as it's kind of in the culture? There's lexicon? parts of it I identify with um, <clears throat> and parts that I don't. It's, it's funny, you know, um, some of the things that I think are identified as millennial are actually maybe just traits of people in their 20s uh, because I remember being accused of things that millennials are being accused of now Um, you know I I think that the Gen X uh, though I think we got very uh, stereotyped as blase and we didn't care and we didn't invest in things apathetic apathetic yeah and so I I don't identify with that Um, but I think it's interesting, yeah, especially as a parent and looking at different parenting styles now, um, how my <clears throat> parents were in the 70s is very different how parents are now. Um, no so, more free range parenting. Right. Definitely we were free range <laughs> parented in the 70s. Latchkey kid. Yeah. I was a latchkey kid. I think you were oh, a definitely. latchkey kid. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we like to think that made us more independent and that made us, you know, very uh, self-sufficient and stuff. <clears throat> so. Yeah. What about you, Christian? Do you identify with kind of Gen X as it's generally thought of? Well, it's I never I was never apathetic. I always wanted I knew a lot of very apathetic people. So, but I also see that today in almost uh, in most generations other than Gen X and millennial. I mean, millennials and the iGens and I. Uh, I do see traits that are distinctly different uh, just from very unique things I see and uh, millennials that I just don't see in any other generation. Like um, what? Well, in my neighbor, I think was probably the stereotype. My neighbor uh, over the past probably like five years ago, I think was one of the stereotypical millennial traits on the annoying side that a lot of Gen Xers like get irritated about. But do you think that's going back to what Kristen said, just young people in general? Annoy no, you, or these were, just... these were unique traits. So let's complain about her. Tell, tell us the, all Him, the yeah. tea as Kelsey would say. Yeah. Well he, uh, it's like, I mean, there's definitely like what's normally age appropriate behaviors, but for him, it was like, there was like, kind of like an out of touch disconnect from reality like with arrogance. with basic it was kind of like he was surprised like he for instance he used to be really big into uh, remote control planes and he did great uh making a ton of youtube videos uh act uh used to um actively built his own website charged people like 35 dollars a month because people were asking him so many questions on youtube about remote control planes. He's like, how can I make money off this? And he was, and I thought it was a brilliant idea that he did that. And he was making $35, like a $35 a month per person. So he was like, sometimes he was making $100 an hour. But then he, the cluelessness part came in where he just thought that's the way it would be for the rest of his life. 
he had a total disconnect of the idea that everything's temporary in business and everything's ebb and flow. And he was just like overly shocked at the fact that uh, people would drop out after a month and cancel their service with yeah. him. And <clears throat> so it was like, there was definitely kind of like a real life cluelessness about him. And like, I was walking across my yard wearing these rubber boots and, uh, you know, in rubber boots, you're not going to walk normal like you would in running shoes. And to him, it was mine. It was weird to him how I was walking in my boots. Like there was a disconnect until he got the same boots. Are you sure he wasn't like... No, like mentally defective yeah. in some no, way. He, no, no, he, he was a, he was a smart kid. But I've seen this through a lot of like many millennials. There was like a type of disconnect from a lack of life experience. It was like it was like a lack of life experience from living indoors too much. That that he uh, like when being he, on the computer and yeah, being on the computer too much because uh, that's what he was doing obsessively. It was just always in it. Destroyed. I think it destroyed his marriage because of that. Um, but it's like, until he got the boots, same boots and walked through the yard through the mud and stuff. Now he said, Oh, he even mentioned it. It's like, now he's like, now I see why you were walking funny in your boots. It's like, how do you not know this? You're, (laughs) you're in your twenties. How do you not know this basic life stuff? Where was this? Where were you living? Uh, in Beaverton, Oregon, Oregon. Beaverton, Oregon. Very interesting. So if that's the picture that you have of millennials, what is the picture you have of Gen X? Gen X, uh, pre-internet, uh, you know, had to, uh, you know, kids, the, the adults that were one of the last generations of dirt fort builders in the woods. Like when you're a kid, it's like, we used to build dirt forts all the time. We used to make rafts and go paddling out in the lake. There was no internet to distract you. There was nothing other than, uh, roll up your sleeves, go play in the woods and, you know, dig dirt forts and then. You know, when you get older, it's like you always had a job that made you sweat. And, uh, you know, mine were, mine were pretty cool, though. I was a lifeguard on the ocean, uh, you know, worked in restaurants. I mean, but uh, other than that, it's like, I mean, your fun was going to Woodstock, you know, going to Reggae Fest up in the mountains uh, in New Hampshire. It's like it was never really like an indoor life. So I think Gen Xers have that real life experience. Plus, we grew up in the age of where the mafia still owned Rhode Island. And so everyone had a real life awareness of, you know, how dangerous life can be and how beautiful life could be at the same time. And so that was our Gen X experience. And because the mafia was in charge, maybe we were a little apathetic because we knew there was nothing you could really do about it. Yeah, the cards were stacked against you. Cards were stacked against you. You're a second-class citizen as an employee because the boss has always treated you like you were a third, like a third-class Titanic passenger. And uh, so it's so different. Leo isn't third class, so I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but this is a, but this is my perspective as a Gen Xer growing up in the Northeast and Hmm. mafia. We didn't have the mafia in Arizona. Yeah. Well, what I think is really interesting is like you guys <clears throat> both talk about, I mean, and clearly there was no internet. People didn't have home computers really until the mid eighties or later, you know? So, but now both of you do jobs that are, you know, I think it's really interesting. Um, and we can cut this out if you guys aren't comfortable talking about work, but I think Christian works, um, with Google advertising and Chris is an accountant, uh, very much kind of very technology terms. driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And with QuickBooks and Intuit. And so you're doing all this kind of real yeah. technology driven stuff. So I guess, how do you, was that a hard transition or was it something? I don't think it was a transition about? because if you think about it, so we graduated college in 1994, which literally is like the birth of the internet. That was yeah. the year when I was born. Oh, Thank you. <laughs> um, so we, I think, I feel like we have grown up with, uh, along with the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, and I always said I wouldn't have become an accountant before computers because yeah, I was not, horrible. right. I know I wouldn't I know, have done the big ledger paper like, and that, they yeah. talk about it and I'm like, I no. So at not. least I had spreadsheets in yeah. college that we had that technology because I think I'd never would have done yeah. it. So for me, it's been it, and maybe it's just the way I'm wired. Like that's been the fun part for me is I'm always excited about the next technology. I'm always excited about the next thing to make the job better, yeah. faster, mm-hmm. cheaper. I mean, we've said that on the podcast before yeah. that like Gen X and baby boomers are way more into technology than people. Oh, totally. Lead on. Totally. And do you, like, my parents are all about like finding out how to use, like do things on their phone and like 
different apps and stuff, like even more so than I am. So is the perception that Gen X is not is into well, I think technology? The perception is that millennials are so like wired into and it and they're in. like the right. experts, but I don't think that's the case in a lot of situations. I think especially among the ancient millennials, so that generation, you know, kind of people born in the 80s, there's, I mean, I literally will ask Kelsey before I will, like, Google something. Like, I'm like, how do I do this on my phone? Kelsey, you fix it. Right, because you know? for for that generation, for the yeah. iGen, it's, like, literally, it's like, like, in literally their DNA. Yes. In their brain. But I think, do you ever worry, I think, as an accountant, that the technology could get so advanced that you would be out of a job? You know, that's interesting. There's definitely a discussion about that. Me, personally, I welcome the technology that takes the drudgery away. I am very pro-robot as far as data entry and all this stuff. There's no value-add to have someone like... That's absolutely my passion is, as accountants, as thinking people, humans... I want to spend my time adding value and giving clients advice and not data entering stuff and checking and triple checking numbers that were data entered to make sure that they're right. I want the robots to do more and more. So that's me personally. Um, I know, and I I think it's within five years, um, a regular 1040 prepare, like at the H&R blocks, they're the ones who should be really worried, I think, because I think our tax returns are going to be automated. legislation and stuff like that, you never know All that's going to be be. automated, but I welcome it. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much more fun stuff I'd rather do that I don't have time for because the technology is not where I want it to be. What about you, Christian, with your line of work? Do you welcome change? Oh, of course. I mean, it allowed me to work from home for eight and a half years, and to me, that's a lot better than... I'm very jealous. Yeah, that's a lot better than working outside, going through traffic, and sweating for somebody else, you know. Now I'm working out of the house, but for eight and a half years, it was nice to be successfully working in the house. And so, because of technology, I was able to do that. That is interesting. So, as parents of iGens... What has that been like? I, you know, I was just lamenting the other day that I feel like I can never be in front of it. I'm always chasing the eight ball with, um, you know, because I've got a squirrely 15 year old who hopefully you guys will be talking to soon. He, and he's smart. He's too smart for me with the technology because I try to put controls on things. I try to. Uh, stay in front of it and I can't because his whole job is figuring out a way to get around my controls yeah. that I try to put on things where I have other, it's yeah. part of my life for him it's his whole life too but I think what's really interesting about this is we look at it and we want to say the technology is is causing this huge difference and it's <clears throat> break but how different is it necessarily from you figuring out how to like go out the no, window absolutely absolutely you know? it's his way of sneaking out the window and he mm-hmm. doesn't physically sne- i don't think I, he might i don't yeah. even know so in he's that too way, loud to sneak out the tired. window without us knowing yeah it's interesting and we've talked a little bit on the podcast about like overall trends with iGen compared to like gen x and boomers in particular and in a lot of aspects like overall as a generation they're a lot safer they do a lot less drugs they're that is interesting to me right when I think about what I was doing when I was 15 I do think he's safer than I was right but yeah we don't agree with that of like the technology and stuff like that is kind of right territory right yeah so that's what I worry about um yeah so for the 12 year old it's not as much right now, but it's starting to get there. I mean, I what I worry about is I do see the addictiveness mm-hmm, of it yeah. and how they freak out when the technology is yeah. not available for yeah. a couple of days. That's what's concerning to me. I'm like, you her guys son, her son paced like an animal around the house when his phone was taken away, and <clears throat> it was like it was almost scary to see like that's what happens when you have technology driven like kids. Addict. Yeah, like a heroin addict. He was pacing back and forth like somebody who needed a fix. <laughs> okay, he's gonna listen to this, so just be nice. I know. Well, I love I love our kids. There are great things about the kids. Like I'm surprised at how many how you never hear about fist fights. Like, no, my kids have never seen a schoolyard fight, which is weird oh to my me. God. Yeah. It, yeah, it's. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good thing to see a fight, but it's also kind of strange to me that the so like the bullying thing would like in quotes in our well. Did you see that when you were in school, like kids fighting physically? Well, I didn't. I feel like being a girl, like girls don't get into fistfights as much but my brother definitely did okay like my brother had like bullies and stuff and even his friends like I remember there was one time where like he and his friends were like goofing around and like his friend accidentally like elbowed him in the face and he like got a bloody nose and the teacher saw and she was like they were fighting and it ended up being this whole thing and he was like no we were just like roughhousing but then there were other times where like 
he just got like punched like straight in the face. I do think and this I... was in a similar community to like right. So I feel like, like so much stuff that wasn't even paid attention to when we were kids. Now it's they're so oh, yeah. like scrutinized. Like, they're so overly managed. And right. Stuff, like... And we used to have fights with circles of uh, like fifty students gathered around <laughs> watching two people like be- beat the crap out of each other. And yeah. I, I think I don't yeah. know. Well, obviously, I mean, I just think it's it's the pendulum swung too far. Maybe and we just need to meet in the middle. I don't know yeah. that it was right to how it was in the '70s that we were just like left to our own yeah. and nobody cared. And also, like, I was totally sexually harassed in high school and nobody oh, yeah. cared. Like, I'm not yeah. about that. I yeah. like. I'm glad that that kind of stuff hopefully has gotten reined in. I was sexually but, um, harassed and I liked it. <laughs> but do you think that stuff now just happens in a more insidious <clears throat> way? Like, I get nervous. I mean, I think your daughter, I mean, we've talked with Kelsey before, but she's so confident and I feel like she's not the kid you have to worry about because she'll just be like, meh. But I think so many girls, are they just, are they just getting that same harassment, but in a way where we can't see it as the adults? Yes, I could totally see that. Yeah. And this social media thing, again, like, I feel like I don't have visibility to so much of that. And especially like Snapchat is super insidious, I think, for Mm -hmm. that, because I have zero visibility in any interactions that are going on there. Um, And Instagram too, like they can message on Instagram and I have no visibility to that. And I know some parents don't even allow any kind Mm -hmm. of apps like that, that they don't have access to. And so I guess... I don't know. I kind of go back and forth about yeah. that kind of stuff because, and especially with a fifteen-year-old, it's like I'm getting toward the like. How, there's only so much things right. you can control at that phase of their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. Like <clears throat> having, like, to your point, what you were talking about with like, is the like harassment and stuff a little bit more insidious? It's going back to your point of like, people are just trying harder to like get around the controls that mm-hmm. are in place. But I definitely think kids like overall are safer from like a bodily harm perspective but maybe psychologically there's more different things yeah but i don't even know like what the latest i guess like snapchat and instagram i use that but i'm sure there are like newfangled things that like i don't even know well that's the thing what is that one the musically that was the big thing that was right so it's a cute thing so kelsey does it and she loves it could be a cute thing where they kind of lip sync to these different songs and they make these little videos and they can share it's like a youtube so it's Mm -hmm. a a social media thing but yeah there's some um but then so they'll make a cute video and some like bullying will take place after that like the trolling that happens and i'm like god it's supposed to be just a dumb stupid little karaoke thing like it's supposed to be just a fun thing that they do and it can turn into a a bullying situation and it's interesting we talked a little bit about this off mic but the involved parent like overly involved parenting like how do you guys think that has evolved because i know like shay and i have talked about like i think it creates weak a weak generation well, okay, so, no, no, for sure. Yeah. But it's interesting, too, I think, our generation of parents. So I feel like um, maybe your parents, um, like, we see the effect. So I, I think of, I have a friend who, she has a, a daughter that's in her late 20s, and, and somehow I look at the how she parents just way overly involved. As far as, like, I would never, in a like college really- situation, call my child's professor or teacher and okay I'm glad you get a weird look on your face but it happens that my mom my mom and dad were both college professors and my mom um towards the end of her career she would tell me about how the parents like on a regular basis parents of her students were calling her and I'm like I would have died (laughs) died if my mom had spoken to one of my professors and I went to the school where my mom taught and I still didn't want her talking to any of my teachers but I felt like um these kids are like it's expected and they want their mom to intervene or their dad to intervene with their yeah. teachers and well, we like, talked to a number of teachers like when we interviewed Elliot he yeah. talked about that <clears throat> like at the you know elementary like middle school level like the parent right and so here's moment. here's what it frustrates me as a parent of because I want my kid to learn on their own like kind of like figure it out um and so I'll get these I'll get a um, email or a phone call from a teacher if something goes wrong and I like And I kind of developed a standard thing that I will tell teachers that I say, okay, look, do whatever you need to do to enforce discipline and have control over your classroom. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a parent. I'm not going to sit there next to my child and make sure he or she behaves while they're sitting in your classroom. But I feel like they get pressure because they're so worried about how parents are going to respond if they do 
discipline or they do things because I, and I, I tell think them. that's absurd that they don't send the kids to the principal for things. There's that not they a detention anymore. I've never heard oh, anything really? about detention. I've never heard anything like that real consequences me. at it the does. school. It scares me. I don't hear my about mom, anything. My mom used to. She's been in law enforcement. She used to do um, child abuse and neglect cases and also like juvenile prosecutions. And it's a huge problem because a lot of times like there are like dangerous kids that will bring like knives to school and stuff. And the school is, like, very wary of law enforcement. They don't want to, like, ruin the kid for life or, like, give him a permanent record so they'll deal with it <clears throat> internally. And then law enforcement will obviously get involved when it escalates a lot. But she's, like, if there was even, like, an internal record or, like, you know, if a teacher sees something but she doesn't want to report the kid to the principal because then the parents will get involved and it's this whole, like, drama, it really <clears throat> creates an unsafe it, environment sometimes. Mm-hmm. To me, that is, uh, it's disturbing because of the fact that no matter what generation you have, you have a certain percentage of the population that are the future criminals. It doesn't matter what town you grow up in. There's some somebody somewhere who starts out as a kid who has something not right about them, but if there's no consequences, uh, when they're two to four years old, uh, you know, starting to abuse animals or something, it's like then they get into high school, push limits, push limits, and everyone's all about like, well, we don't want to give them a bad rap before they're even 18. Yeah, it's it's really like, and before hard, you know like... it, nobody's disciplining them enough where, you know, so by the time they're six feet tall and 250 pounds, it's like then they're a major problem. And uh, because nobody was, everyone was so concerned about not hurting their feelings mm-hmm. by consequencing them and I think we see a lot of that even on the water down levels with kids where uh, they just a lot of kids these days and even young adults like all the way up into their 20s just don't feel like there's any consequences for their behavior and um, I think that's not good but you can see it internationally too it's like I mentioned earlier it's like I think the way things are is creating a weaker generation uh, when you have nothing but indoor people whether it's guys or girls, and, you know, they never grew up rolling up their sleeves and digging dirt forts and stuff. I mean, you don't have to do that particular mm-hmm. activity, but it's in the, just a, mm-hmm. uh, an example of, like, even internationally, they're seeing, like, the Japanese are having big problems with their youth, like, not being adults. Yeah. And it's like, and here we're seeing a lot of our people in their 20s not being adults. And and then, there's the, then you have places like Russia full of machismo, who want to potentially instigate a war with us, it's like, where are we going to get our soldiers from and our Marines and our Navy people? And, you know, it's like, I think war should always... Um, my thing is, like, you have to be a strong generation to always be ready for worst-case scenarios in life. And you can't always be like, well, somebody else do something about this situation. Because there might become a time where you know, we may have to go to a bigger war than the one we just got out of. And where are you going to get those adults that need to stand up and defend the United States or be the next generation of brilliant scientists or be the next generation of everything better than the previous generation? And I just don't see that as much. I see a whole lot of brains, but I don't see a whole lot of brawn with this generation. Yeah, that's interesting. It might go back to like what you were saying <clears throat> where the pendulum has kind of swung one direction and Yeah, it, there is a middle road. Needs to go. Yeah. Well, and I think this is something that we really try to address here on this podcast is like you think like we live in a time where everything just culturally everything has to be super polarized and labeled mm. and da da da, but there's so much gray area so it's really fun to kind of dig in and see and now that we're talking more to people outside of our own generation um i think it's interesting to see those differences but then also where are the trouble spots and where you know nothing that we can necessarily do about it but just i think even being aware is important you know um if I can bring it back to some positive aspects. Yes, I would I love see. that. Thank you. Um, because, um, like, I think one of the brushes that the millennials get painted with is the, um, you know, the kind of a sense of entitlement, mm-hmm. you know, and this, especially in the workplace. And I know that that's the complaint that I hear and maybe have voiced a time or two yeah. about the sense of entitlement that we see in, like, the, the millennial generation. But, you know, when, I, when I've given it <clears throat> some thought, I think, well, you know... I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing. For example, being in the in public accounting, um, you know, we're expected to work really long hours, and mm-hmm. we and and for not 
super awesome pay, especially at the entry level positions. And, um, you know, and I think my generation always saw it and, and generations previously have always seen it as you just pay your dues. And, you know, maybe if you work really hard, you can make partner, but even as a 20 something myself and seeing the partners still there on a Saturday night at nine o'clock at night, you know, I'm like, this is the payoff. I mean, you get more money, but you still don't have a life Mm -hmm. where I think the good thing about the millennial generation is, uh, you've been a little more firm in your boundaries with, you know, I'm just not going to do it. And we've had to adjust and pivot and really, you know, make it more accommodating. And I think part of that too is like, especially for people of Shay's age that have, you know, more vivid memories of 9-11 and the 2008 crash in Mm -hmm. particular, like if your whole light at the end of the tunnel is something that's going to happen like 20 years from now, you're going to make partner and your life's going to be great. Like that's not guaranteed. Like even right. at firms like look right. at Arthur Anderson, like all those people that Hi, I worked there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. right. No, exactly. But, a, but a no, that's a perfect example. example. Yeah. It's a perfect example because I knew people that had just bought into Arthur Anderson yeah. and it was gone. So their investment, their savings, mm-hmm. their whole plan for the last 30 years was mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. And they say that, um, I think we talked about this briefly in a previous episode, but people of my particular segment of the generation, we will never financially recover. Like we will yeah. never make as much money as you guys can make or as much money as Maddie could make because the fact that we came of age and got our entry level jobs at a lower starting salary because of the recession means oh, that it's almost, and yeah. it's not like a huge amount of money, but it's somewhere between like over the course of our career, That's we make, really fascinating. you yeah. know, <clears throat> several hundred thousand dollars less than mm-hmm. anyone else. So, um, and that's why they're doing a lot of legislation, which it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. I know they have it in California and New York City in particular, where mm-hmm. employer you can volunteer the information, and sometimes it's useful to do that. But an employer, they can ask you what your desired salary is, but they can't ask you what you made at your last employer to kind yeah. of give people yeah. like Shay a leg up. Because if you keep you know, at that lower level, then people will be like, all right, I'll bump it up by two grand or something. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, people my age are getting the same job for you know, 10 to 15 grand more or something. I do. I do like the fact that the, the millennials and the iGens are changing the way the workplace is. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do like it, but I noticed there's a huge drop in self-esteem with the new generation. And I see it immediately with, with new, like millennials that we just, that just either quit or we had to terminate. Uh, huge number one thing that was a different other than what's age appropriate, because when you're in your twenties, it's like, you don't even know who the heck you are for the most part and so self-esteem might be an issue but it seems like now they give up so easy if they don't have immediate success with things and uh because of what i do is is in sales and we're trying to uh, get this new product launched so we have people coming in and we tell them it's like you know this is brand new we really don't know all the answers of how to get this launched you guys are here but if we don't sell anything soon we're gonna have to start rotating people and getting them out of here because you know expenses and yeah. all that kind of stuff but it's just amazing how how easily crushed people are. This That's generation is. That's what I worry is. about with my kids. Like I see that in my son. Like, well, yeah. it's not yeah. that. It, yeah, if I'm not good at it right away, right. That sense of practicing and getting better and like, yeah, yeah. I doesn't even all, seem to register. Like a full fear it. of failure. It is a problem. Like I talk to my parent. Like my parents have friends that, like you know, very successful people who like are now, you know, in upper management at really great companies who are totally like, you know, typical like suburban families. And like my dad tells stories about them in college that like they barely graduated. A lot of schools gave out general studies degrees, which is not a thing anymore. And if you get one, like you're not seen as being very focused and stuff. And I can't imagine like having that option. Like when I went to college, if I was like, you know, I'm just going to like see what happens and get a general studies degree and then maybe like work some jobs. Like I think you guys were the last generation maybe that were able to do that. Mm -hmm. And obviously there is some flexibility, you know, you don't have to go into a job of what you studied, but just that kind of like using your twenties as like sort of like a fledgling time of like Mm -hmm. doing whatever and still being able to like a lot of what you were talking about Christian with like the jobs that you had Mm -hmm. as your first jobs, you know, starting out and now like looking where you are now, I don't think that, my generation is going to have that opportunity. Well, I think also... Well, do you... uh, Is that true, though? Because the internet gives so many... uh, Like, technology today gives so many more opportunities compared to, like, what I had. It's like, it seems like um, all there was in Rhode Island was factory work, 
and restaurant work. And you had to go to college. Everyone went to college. It wasn't even an option back in the 90s because you either worked at a factory, worked in a restaurant, mm -hmm. or you went and got a degree and did something uh, yeah. to get certified. And that's how the economy was. You're there. saying you feel like levels. at 23, like you have to be dialed into what you're going to do. Well, I think if you want like the higher earnings potential, potentially, but I also think I agree with what because you can start saying, your own business but, from home now when you right, couldn't when I, I was. Uh, in there's more opportunities 20s. for people maybe at the top half of the spectrum, mm. but for the people at the bottom half of the spectrum that are maybe stuck in a place like Rhode Island that didn't go to college. You know, I had a lot of my parents' friends who like they stayed in Detroit and worked like you know a lot of entry level jobs, and they were able to break into companies without having a college degree or having you know a college degree that wasn't really focused in anything, or it took them like. 10 years to graduate undergrad mm. like of course there are people like that now but I just see like for the top half like people like Shay and I that have degrees and are you know kind of self-starter like entrepreneur types like there are a ton more opportunities but for the people at the bottom like they're going to stay in those entry-level jobs well, a lot I, more. I think the whole hiring process across the board is totally different yeah. uh, now than it was even 10 years ago I mean it used to be I remember when I first graduated with my master's from NYU, one of my older professors who's a boomer, he would be like, I don't understand why you don't just walk into somewhere and demand yeah. a job. People I was tell like, me that. you can't I've been interviewing do for that. A year for the yeah. Job that yeah. I just got. And I think, and I maybe have abnormally high self esteem for a millennial, but <laughs> it also was because I think getting this feedback from older people who were like, well, you went to NYU and John Carroll, like, you should just be able to walk in and ask for a job. And now people at all parts of the spectrum especially if you're in a city like new york you're having to apply for hundreds of jobs yeah. like when we were talking you know? to aria the other day she said she has like a biochem degree and she said she applied to 150 jobs yeah. and stopped <clears throat> counting after that for yeah. her first job yeah, and this is a girl who is like a super genius yeah. like she's now she's 27 and she's now the national director of food safety for this like organic yeah. foods company like so it definitely didn't set yeah, her back, so but it's, it's not, not... I mean, I've had this debate with my parents, still, too, where they're like, oh, you should be able to, like, if you want to change jobs and you're unhappy, like, just, just send out it. resumes or, like, go to some networking events and it should take you, like, a month maximum. But, like, how And that's not how it is. Did it take you to find your first accounting job? Did you, like, walk into so, it? So, uh, like you know what? I more. actually had, like, a couple internships, and so that's how I, I kind of broke... I had, a, I had an internship at a local firm in Arizona, and then after I moved up here, I had an uh, internship at a uh, national firm mm -hmm. um, and then even after that I didn't get hired right away and so there was a little dip in the early 90s too so mm -hmm. I came out so that would have been 1995 mm -hmm. I actually didn't work for like the first four months after my internship yeah. and they ended up calling me back in the fall to come work there yeah. um, so that was, that's so valuable that's how but I, I was also it was interesting going back to your point about you know I, I was a C student so I actually felt like I kind of got in the back door to these national firms because at the time they were only hiring 3.5 and above yeah. GPAs. I did not have it. I think right. I had a 2.8. Which just shows that that credentialing, it's like obviously you're doing great in your career. Like that didn't Well, now, you know, it's interesting. Like when I talk to my peers now, you know, now being in upper management, it's almost like we feel like sometimes the C students do better because they tend to be a little more social. Yeah. More, I mean, especially with accounting students who can tend to be a little bit too cerebral, mm -hmm. shall we say. So <laughs> if you're, you know, if you yeah. can't interact with the people, I mean, right. it, there's a P, the P is public, okay? So we have to interact <laughs> with the public. We have to interact yeah. with people. And so sometimes you lose those social right. skills if you get a little too much on the A++++. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure those national firms are still looking for the 3.5s and above and the beta alpha psi presidents and those Yeah. But the, off, the offset on that is I think this is the best time on the face of the planet for everyone to even reinvent themselves if they have enough creativity uh, I agree. to work yeah. because of the internet. I think the creativity is because thing, yeah. because of the internet. It's like it's so possible that if you can't get a job in the thing you originally started out at, you can make money online doing things like I st I get so inspired by even the the teenagers today who like there's a, a high school kid down the road. Who makes a million dollars a year in sales because he started a sock business? A million dollars a year, and, and then you, you should interview him. And yeah. then you have, and then you have the sixteen-year-old uh, billionaire now who came up with an app that was yeah. sold for a billion dollars. It's like, mm -hmm. really so 
So the yeah, well, the whole thing is it's like so. There's so much more opportunity where if you're creative enough and determined enough to do something outside the box of what you're used to, it's like at least you can still cover your back more than we could as early as a generation back in the '90s. I mean, it was always at least you have that option now when it was never available before. And I so I think I think life when it comes to careers is there's more opportunity to make money. If you're creative enough, intelligent enough, and willing enough to step outside the box of where you started out at. Because it never has there ever been this opportunity before to make money even from home. What was life like in the 80s and 90s? Seems like a fun party to me. It was. (laughs) I know. I think Kristen might have had more fun. I milked it like a cow, apply a little bag bomb, and milked it again. It was. Well, the punk 80s. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But it was that fun. It was uh, the 80s, was the punk 80s. Um, went to a lot of punk shows, had a mohawk at, for like a year. Oh, can we get a picture <clears throat> of Christian in the mohawk? It exists. It's uh, it on does Facebook. exist. Oh. Yeah. Oh, we'll be Great. finding this. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, the punk 80s were fun, going to a lot of punk shows at old like factories that were converted into clubs uh, in Rhode Island. Club Babyhead was one of our favorite clubs that was uh, cool. And then we did a. The place called The Living Room, which was this old brick factory that was converted into a club, and that was always fun. And, of course, things change over throughout the years. But And then the 90s were all about, like, lifeguarding, surfing, mm-hmm. partying. For Christian, that's what it yeah. was Yeah, well, because there... I was working at the public <clears throat> accounting firm. Yeah. Million yeah. Years. <laughs> I mean, to me, well, because there wasn't the opportunity to start out a career, everyone just milked their 20s and played. Nobody had children. Nobody, had, nobody started families uh, in their 20s. Uh, it was all about just party and go to college and travel, going to Europe, you know, went to London. Sounds very millennial, mm-hmm. actually. <clears throat> yeah, it's like, well, I think that's a good thing about millennials. I mean, there's always some yeah, great things about traveling. every generation. The traveling, life experiences, I do like that about millennials. and Because yeah. that's the way it should be. I mean, you have your entire life, the majority of your life, to get serious and be bored with whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> so why rush into it? And, you know, it's good to make money, but those life experiences are what you're going to remember, not the days at work. That's true. What about you? You seem less enthused about the 80s and 90s. Um, yeah, I don't think I milked it as much as Christian did. Uh, I lived I out of a van the, and crashed at parties in yeah. the summers. See, I had, I had more of the, the angst of being in your twenties and worrying about the future and, you know, making sure that I guess I was more type A about my twenties. Yeah. And to me, it was all about going to the house parties and loving college and living it and milking it. That's great. Yeah. Both of those things. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I think a little angst is normal. Right. Yeah. If you're just and <clears throat> the generation of angst. So you were right, right. where you should have been. Right. Listen to all this Kurt Cobain. Into, like, Nirvana and oh, stuff. sure. I, I remember, yeah. well, I, it was funny. I remember the first time I heard Nirvana and it was such a different sound. I was yeah. like, I know, me what too. is that? Because I was, I wasn't a punk person like Christian mm-hmm. was. I was more hard rock, you know, yeah. heavy metal type person. So nirvana wasn't that mm-hmm. it was something else and so it was definitely yeah it, it was a game changer for sure you it's guys are funny real Gen X because i talked to my mom about this and she tells a classic story of when kurt cobain died my dad called her while she was in the car and he was like the leader of your generation died and she was like ronald reagan <laughs> 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 I'm like, He's not <laughs> <laughs> but that was like my mom's experience <laughs> Different. No, I, I also remember where I was when I learned Kurt Cobain. Oh, I, yeah. like, I, was, yeah. I was driving in my car. I was on my way to my internship at the yeah. first accounting firm that I oh, worked wow. at. And yeah, I definitely, yeah, yeah. it was, it was. A, my first experience yeah. with uh, hearing Nirvana was awesome. It was like the awesome, it was the best day in college. One of the best days. I was, uh, live, I rented out a room at Fiji Phi Gamma Delta because uh, oh, they just okay. got let, let back on campus and they were desperate for just filling rooms so they so you weren't in the fraternity I wasn't even in the fraternity I rented out one of their rooms in the front of the house and it was cool just to get that experience without having to commit and it's like so I remember I was just sitting there in a room by myself I didn't have a roommate and I was it was it was a I remember like a just a beautiful either spring or autumn air coming in and watching the curtains blow and just smelling how what a great day it was and somebody and I heard somebody play uh, I think teen spirit 
uh, Smells Like Team Spirit uh, down the hall. And I was like, and I went down the hall and I was like, you know, going through the hall smelling like beer and passing yeah. rooms with like moldy plates of food in them. That's a very vivid memory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, More totally. Vivid than mine. It's be a whole chapter in your memoir. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, but I remember asking one of, the, one of the fraternity brothers, I said, who is this? And he's like, Nirvana. And I had to ask him three times because I just couldn't remember the name. Yeah. What? And, uh, but it was an awesome experience that day. Yeah, that's interesting. Did you feel like moving to the Pacific Northwest, there was more of that like oh, yeah. angsty kind of like stereotypical no. because of Nirvana? Well, you no. didn't live here then. I didn't want to. I knew people are living here. I didn't want to live, move up here though. I did. And that's yeah. when I moved here. Because you were like, I need to wear some flannel. No, and you know what? Yeah, Arizona, it's, which is completely different. Arizona, right. Well, yeah, we kind of tried to glom onto that. So, And it was interesting then. Hard so that was out. also when uh, yeah, exactly. my sister was dating the drummer for the Jim Blossoms, too. Mm-hmm. So they like, yeah, that was kind of a big deal. So we got Connection. to be part of that scene, too, uh, which was its own little music scene. So that was yeah. like an interesting part of the early were 90s. They were they in Arizona? Very fun. They yeah, so they were from, uh, they were oh, from Tempe. And yeah, 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 that was that was fun. But yeah, I don't know. Or it was interesting moving to Oregon. I just always felt a connection here. But I definitely... Um, yeah, when I moved here, it was still the grunge scene was definitely still happening and all that. Plus, when you grow up on the in the Northeast, like I did, you felt like that was the center of the universe. I mean, there's like an arrogance. The, the, the Northeast between New York and Boston. Yeah. You feel like there's an arrogance. I mean, there's like an well, there's an arrogance there in the sense like you feel like you really are the center of the universe, living there, and everyone else is in the backwoods, and it's between. The Northeast and Europe is the place to be, and everyone else was yeah, Hicks, Hicks living in the backwoods. That's uh, that was our mentality back then. I think there's a little bit of that too. Like I have friends that are more keen to like travel in Europe or like live in Europe for a period of time than like come west. Let's go to the yeah. West Coast and like do that. Yeah, That's interesting. It always amazed me how many people I'd meet in New York who were like, "I've never been west of like, you know, Pennsylvania." Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which to me that like blows I my mind. I went to school at NYU with people that had never left New York City. And I was like, that's, that's crazy. Like if you have enough weird. money to go to NYU and you're yeah. ne- you've never taken a vacation to like no. anywhere. They had been to like Long Island and like that does not count. That was like their nature. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it does not count. It's very interesting. That's crazy. This has been very enlightening. Yeah. We viewed uh, we viewed everyone outside of uh, the Northeast as like what somebody referred to here in Portland, like because uh, there's a little snobbiness in the Pearl. The Pearl's a section of Portland that's kind of upscale. Oh yeah, that's where we were. That's and where uh, we were explored, yes. But I remember one time somebody referred to everyone outside of the Pearl as bridge and tunnel people. Oh. <laughs> so you have to cross a bridge or go yeah. through a tunnel. So anyone outside of New England <clears throat> and the yeah. Northeast in general were bridge and tunnel people to us. Yeah, so true. Bridge and tunnel is very much a Manhattan yeah. term. Yeah. Oh, is it? That's yeah, because it means people, people who come from New Jersey, from New Jersey or oh, yeah. uh, like That's Long Island. That's another reason why I to leave my job. I didn't tell you guys this, but they're moving my office to New Jersey. I told oh, you this. Unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Unacceptable. And I was like, I can't. I'm Take not going to train every day. from Manhattan to New Jersey every day. That sounds awful. Yeah. No. Hard pass. Hard pass. Um, well, this has been great. Does anyone else have any burning topics they want to talk about? If not, I'm going to ask Christian about his paranormal experiences. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go right ahead. Okay. He loves to talk about Let's that. Let's do it. Tell us. Well, I grew up in a... I, first, I want to uh, preface this with the fact that, you know, I was trained... I was in college with a psychology degree, uh, you know, studied everything from biological psychology to, you know, everything that would make you think that anything is a delusion mm-hmm. uh, or a psychotic feature if you believe in anything other than what you see in front of you. And but yet it's like I still couldn't get away from the fact that I had uh, deep memories of being reincarnated. Uh, till this day, I still remember the last moments of my previous life. And then we grew up in an extremely haunted house that wasn't just Wait, haunted. What was your, you can't gloss over that. What was the end of your previous life? I, I absolutely remember, and I don't mean any disrespect to any uh, Vietnam veterans that live today, but I remember dying as a U.S. Marine on August third, nineteen sixty-seven near the Laos-Cambodian border uh, in Vietnam as a U.S. Marine. And uh, I looked up, a couple of years ago, I looked up any battles that took place on that date just to confirm that my memories are correct. And there was a battle that took place near the Laos-Cambodian border, exactly where wow. my, my memories and my dreams uh, take place. And uh, everyone was overrun, killed, or captured 
Uh, and that actually was a real battle that took place. When I looked it up on the internet, I was like, doesn't surprise yeah. me. It was right there. And then I also will hear songs from like 1966 and 1967. And uh, I'll even tell Chris, oh, like, I bet this was like a song yeah. around before 1967. And sure enough, uh, it'll, I'll wow. be able to see the date that it was before 1967. Cause I'll, I'll remember it as a song I liked back then. And so between there and three years, being reborn in 1970, uh, I just, I don't care if anyone believes in reincarnation or not, because I know for an absolute fact that I remember my past life. Why do you think it so, took three years for you to come back? I think you came back within three years because of great enthusiasm and excitement to do it all over again. Because mm. I believe, like, uh, if anyone's familiar with Abraham Hicks, uh, you can go to YouTube and look at it. It's about law of attraction. Uh, but she mentioned, she says it the way I've always believed it, <clears throat> that on the other side, we come back with great enthusiasm just for the expansion of experiencing this life. And, uh, and I absolutely believe that. And I believe that I didn't wait 100 years to come back. I came back within three years, which is, according to reincarnation experts, that that's actually a quick amount of time to come back. And I believe that's what I did is, you know, wow. I just couldn't wait to come back to do it again. That's very interesting. So that was the first experience, and then that was probably well. That along with always hearing footsteps in my house, uh, hearing my name called. In the haunted house. Yeah, in the house we grew up in, and this confirmed. Freaked me out. Were you ever afraid? It was. I would be so afraid. It was paranormal for us. Uh Well, 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 well. Christian's so funny. Well, I think it's really interesting because we've the three of us have talked about this before that like. Christian is very like open psychically to all of this where Chris mm-hmm. and I, even though we've both had fringe kind of experiences yeah. are like, we can't invite yeah. that in just because it's freaky, you know? Well, so. due to time, let me tell you the, the big stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I first, I think you have to be in low vibration. We grew up dirt poor. We, um, just what do you mean by low vibration, low vibration, like depressed, <laughs> oh, okay. like depressed, anxious, um, poor, uh, all those things lead you to such a low vibration. And when you grow up in those conditions, you become a perfect vibrational match to experiencing paranormal things. Negative paranormal, ne- negative paranormal things, not positive, because I believe there's both positive and negative. Uh, so, um, positive like you... Positive would be like, I do believe there's guides that come to you in dreams and... <clears throat> like more of like an angel kind of spirit yeah. like guy yeah, yeah. kind of thing okay like those i think it's a lot bigger i think yeah. i think there's so much more out there than our brains can grasp but for lack of better words like your guardian angel coming in and mm-hmm. guiding you but with uh, the negative is more like the ghost like spooky yeah demonic so things things like um we got into the ouija board as kids um and also, I love Ouija boards. Yeah, well, let us have one in the house. Don't do it. No. Had a bad experience. We had. Yeah, the answers no. <laughs> so there was there was a time I was experiencing. I was reading up on crystals, and uh, and I heard like a bunch of like a group of kids outside. It's the summer. I was in my bedroom. Uh, the screen was open. The it was just the screen with the window open. I was a teenager, and uh, this was one of the biggest paranormal experiences I had. And I heard like a group of what sounded like high school kids walking by at night on my road. And I lived on a curve where I can see a good distance left and right down my street. And I looked outside and I was like, what the heck are a bunch of kids doing out at 10 to 10? It just seemed weird. It's like, um, so I looked out and I didn't see anyone walking by my house, but it sounded like it was right in front of my house. And then I went back to reading the book and the hairs on my arms stood up like it was something paranormal. Mm -hmm. Like at this point, we're already familiar with some of this stuff. And so I go back to reading this book on crystals. Uh, it was when new age stuff was really coming into being. And so I heard this at the same, almost like a, a recording started over again. I heard the group of six kids walking by the house again, except this time I heard a little kid scream, no. And then I just, I froze and I just stood and stared at the window and I'm up against the screen. So you could just hear them, but you couldn't see them. Yeah. And I, and I looked out the screen and I felt something breathing right in front of my face <gasps> So I stood back and I heard all six of them come into my room. And this is a true story. Heard all six of them come into my room. And it's kind of like if you close your eyes, you can hear six people standing there. It's just no mistake. But then the thing that really got me was they went into my mother's room, like channeled like a sound like a freight train. They went so loudly into my mother's room. And I heard them talking like they're at a cocktail party, like that loud. And I I was Was she in the room. 
she was sleeping in the room and I was like, oh my God, you don't want to wake my mother up. She's a bitch. God rest her soul. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, uh, she didn't hear it. I'm assuming. No, she didn't hear it. She was so closed off to all that, uh, because of her super Christian beliefs, uh, that she didn't want to believe anything like Mm -hmm. that. So she went, uh, they, I heard them go down where my little downstairs where my little brother was talk down there really loud and then come up into my room and they were silent just standing there but I can hear them like a static electricity type of sound or just people standing there with your eyes when your eyes are closed like that type of sound the next day my little brother I told him about it and he just turned like just white Mm -hmm. and he said I heard them breathing at my headboard um, in his bed so it was two people witnessing the same event and this is your brother that's the medium now? Yeah, he's a medium now. And uh, He says yeah. that was his college. Yeah. Like growing up in that house, he says that was his like training yeah. ground. Wow. He, Does he do it like professionally? Yes. He yep. He just uh, started getting a lot of clients and, uh, you know, for the yeah. first time. He cl- he said that he experienced full-blown possession in that house, like uh, when my mother was moving out of the house. Oh, his uh, name's Paul Y. Rostek. You can follow him on yeah. Facebook and yes. Instagram. Where does he live? We'll link to him. In Rhode Island. Island. Oh, okay. But he experienced like full-blown possession, lifted off the floor. Oh, I can't. That makes me so... I know. Like projectile vomiting, like the works. And, this is uh, why we shut it down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, in the, so when and that was like, I think I was living up in Alaska my first year when all that happened. And then he isolated from the family for 10 years because he just knew too many people had died and he felt mm-hmm. like anyone he was getting close to... Um, would die so he's fine now it's like Mm -hmm. he finally found the balance and all that but some of the other paranormal experiences do you want to hear another one yeah um well do you have any with like people that you like knew from your past or is it always yeah yeah random oh there's people on my facebook friends still Oh, you mean from the past, like a previous life? Or? No, no, no. I just mean like people that you knew that died, but then came back as ghosts. Uh, n- not that I, I don't have my little brother's ability at all. Yeah. Um, he says that, you know, some of our relatives, like a mother comes around mm-hmm. once in a while. Um, she passed away like seven years ago. Yeah. Um, so for me, like uh, we did the Ouija board. Uh, and that was terrible. So a lot of my Facebook friends that I have now uh, were some of those people who witnessed this. We would do the Ouija board in like uh, Lisa and Jay's house in the basement. And they used to have an old farmhouse and they had paranormal experiences. Like the mom and dad used to see like a ghost of a little boy uh, no. and, uh, in, the, in the house and a woman searching for something on a fireplace wearing an old dress. I mean, they'd see all that. And, um, but we used to do the Ouija board in their basement and the dog would run over to one corner, stand up its hind legs and bark violently at the corner, uh, at the ceiling. And... Um, and so uh, when we did that, we thought it was like, haha, this is all just coincidence. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, things started manifesting in our lives. And like for me, it was more paranormal noises in the house and hearing my name called and footsteps walking down the hall. And one day, it's like I was getting ready, um, I think, to go see my girlfriend at the time. And I. Uh, so um, in the mirror, in the bathroom, and I hear the, the sliding glass door open and close, and I hear footsteps walking in. And I thought it was my father. My father, he wasn't living with us, but he used to just walk in. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then I saw the bathroom door open like, uh, like two inches, and I was like, this oh. This makes me never want to take a shower again. Yeah, and I was like, I was like oh. Have you heard this story before? No. And oh. I was like, oh, hey, Dad. And I opened the door, and there's nobody there, and I immediately sprinted out onto the porch to see if somebody walked into the house and so I looked around the porch to see if anyone was there looked out in the street I would have caught somebody if they walked in the house and then back out and even if they ran as fast as they could I still would have been able to see them go across the lawn and so uh so I closed the door and I still go back you know, back then, and there's the day of blow drying your hair, as, like in the 80s, that with di- dippity doo gel in your hair and stuff like that. Yep. And uh, so I went back to like blow drying my hair, and then I heard the uh, footsteps. We'll need to get some pictures. Yeah, I think. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I heard the, the footsteps go back out, the sliding door open and close again. I sprinted out there, and, um, and I looked, couldn't see anyone, looked around the porch to see if anyone was hiding next to the porch because it was raised up about three feet. And, uh, so that was another of many paranormal experiences. Talk to Bert about his uh, Ouija board experience. Oh, really? Too. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. There's you'll never do a Ouija, Ouija board if you talk to. It. And you know, my industrial engineer imagine. father, yeah, your dad completely is. logical and linear, Ugh. will yeah. tell you not to do a Ouija board. I think. I mean, I just. Ugh. We had to burn ours, and there were crows oh, circling mm-hmm. us when it happened. Oh, 
Don't yeah. do it, Maddie. We're trying to decide. There were so many things, like Lisa and JJ were starting to get a lot of manifestations in their house because of us doing the Ouija board. Yeah. Um, they, Lisa said that she would find like her little, she had a, a rows of little troll dolls, mm-hmm. little gem dolls. Uh, and she'd find them like the ones in the back, like thrown across the room. Uh, and then she would hear like somebody in the middle of the night walking on her shopping bags on the floor. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. JJ would see a little troll court jester looking figure uh, running, like looking at him through the door cracks and they're running across the doors. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that kind of paranormal stuff. To kind of like circle this back to the theme of the podcast. I mean, I guess all that new age stuff really hit for you guys. Like you were late 80s. Yeah. So do you feel like you were more open to that because this was something that people were talking about and discussing kind of in normal because I feel like now I don't know I don't know I feel like previous to that I couldn't imagine like my dad and mom being like let's talk about paranormal experiences and crystals and I can and I don't feel like people do that now either but I think I mean, for now, yes. people are more open into yeah. a lot of different things. Yeah, there was definitely, there was definitely of, like, the 80s. Yeah. Yes. I think people are more closed like off to that stuff now yeah. because of the distractions of the internet and stuff. So it's kind of like when electricity came about. You turn mm-hmm. on a light switch and make the dark go away. I think that created yeah. less paranormal experiences that people had because you can just uh, close yourself off by the flick of a light switch. I, don't I just wonder if you guys were more like aware of it because it was so it was discussed so openly in the public spectrum where like for me, maybe I've had more paranormal experiences than I have, than I know, but because I like have grew up in an age that was more practical, like I don't necessarily associate that immediately. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know because it's, I don't know. It's hard to see what your perspective would have been. Yeah, exactly. And also like, I mean, like I was alluding to a second ago, my parents had these paranormal like, experience. Okay, I want to talk about yeah. this yeah. off well, the mic. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. there, I definitely have some stories for you about that. But yeah. um, oh, now, of course, the dogs are barking. Yeah. But, um, oh. Sorry. Does this mean it's time for the art challenge? I think so. Okay. So we do um, a segment at the end with all of our guests that we call the archery range. So basically, we'll ask you a series of rapid fire questions and answer off the top of your head. Um, but so don't overthink it. And just whatever Got comes it. first. Kind of Put where you are in the spectrum of life. Okay. So, okay. Spectrum of your generation. I don't know why she's going to Benson likes to ruin everything. Because someone walked by the front door. And then he sounds the alarm and she freaks out. Correct. Great. Um, They could be murders. Could be reverse (laughs) as well. Attack dog. Attack dog. (laughs) Okay. Do you want to lead us off? Favorite movie? Gone with the Wind. Ooh. Classic. Hmm. Or just a favorite, maybe. It yeah. Braveheart. Mm, okay. Good one. Favorite band? Fleetwood Mac. Mm, favorite band? Or artist, singer, musician. I have too many. I just don't have any particular... I like genre, certain genres more than okay, others. What's your favorite genre? Or any favorite? 60s music. 60s. Okay. Um, and class, classical music primarily, and then 60s music. I like that. Favorite book? Or a favorite? Or a recommendation you want to give our audience? Mm-hmm. Maybe something you read recently. Yeah. I just read a book called The Nightingale, which was very good. Oh, Kristen Hannah. Yeah. Really, really good. Yes, about these World War II spy people. Really mm-hmm. good. Yes. Uh, Dita Rose, Encyclopedia of Trades and Industry. Oh, I like it. Sounds like a real page turner. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a novel. It's a illustrations from how things were done in the old days. I love that. Cool. Um, Favorite childhood snack? I think Oreos. I mean, they're timeless. They are timeless. It's not necessarily like an iconic 70s thing. That's okay. My favorite snack was apples because I'm a loser. (laughs) That's such a shay answer, isn't it? That's awesome, though. I used to love Hostess fruit pies. We used to steal them from the uh, back of a store that we're going to get tossed. They're going to get tossed out. Uh, But we learned as kids that going through the woods, this is why it's so important to preserve like woods, not to teach children to steal, but to have the experience of actually playing in woods and being in woods. Uh, we used to go through these. Um, it's supposed to be rapid fire questions. 
I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. But it's cool. We used to get like cases of hostess pies and stuff <laughs> Run away with off them. the dock. Because no one else wanted them. Well, they'd be off the back docks of like Super Stop and Shop. And they're like in the throwaway section because they're like surpassed their expiration and freshness. And we used to just drag them in the woods and chow on them in our forts. Nice. I like it. I love that. Favorite television show? Maybe one from your childhood, or yeah, I mean probably Seinfeld. I think I still watch those and yeah, I'm entertained Seinfeld's by that. Good. Right now, Walking Dead. It's mm. a good call. Um, favorite place you've visited? Not lived. I think I have the recency bias of Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, because nice. that was very nice. London. Mm, that's yeah. two good calls. Very classic. Well, that's all the questions I had. Um, favorite year in school. 94. Graduation. <laughs> what year is that? Uh, 1994, uh, Woodstock summer. Oh, you went to Woodstock yes. 94? Yep. How was that? It was fantastic. Was it? It was the best he ever. He still watches the videos on YouTube. Really? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Very cool. I'd probably say 93. I think definitely college was more fun yeah. Than, yeah. than the high school years. So. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, thank so you much. guys. Thanks for cool. having us. Yes, this was, fun. this was super awesome. Thank you. Um, campers, thank you for tuning in. We will see you next week. Yay. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com. And you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.